Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe related topics. I'm Frank. Hi there. I'm Jeff. How are you? And we have uh, an intruder in the studio today. What? Someone who wasn't invited, who just kind of walked in. How did you get past our guards? What guards? What I, I thought we had this place locked down. Jeez. Uh, uh, our, our guest, I guess, today is uh, Brenton Belmar. Oh, uh-oh. Uh, how's, how's it going? It's going good. Yeah, I don't know. You sound pretty angry. Yeah, because, you know, the last episode was pretty rough on me, don't you think? <laughs> I don't know. We were, we were just asking questions. <laughs> so, so I'm here to clear, my, clear up my name. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought we, it was a very nice episode. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All I know is it got fantastic ratings, and um, we'll, we'll see how those compare to this one. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> so w- w- while you're here, Brighton. Right, yeah, might as well make the mess of this. Yeah. Um, could you tell me, uh, you guys have done some pretty – Pretty cool stuff with uh, with DevOps kind of tooling in firmware, right? Great segue, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so yes, yes, we have. Um, in fact, we we had to do it uh, mainly out of necessity. Mm. Um, we were being challenged with a lot of uh, issues that was taking a lot of time from normal development to to basically hand ten various build or, or release processes. And and the easiest way to, to go after that is to introduce some sort of automation uh, in the mix. So so going so, so just quickly, going back several years, we were doing sort of automated releases even before DevOps was a buzzword. So, so how does this, I, you know, when I think of DevOps, I, I kind of don't think of you guys, right? I think of, hey, I need to build an app. And, and most of this is very cloud focused. How, how do you guys do cloud stuff? Yeah, I don't want my firmware in the cloud. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, no, that, that's not a thing yet. Um, <laughs> but, but essentially, because we, this firmware layer runs on, 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 the, on the Z processor, it, it has a lot of authority and therefore um, it has a lot of uh, um, opportunity to do the wrong thing and, and take the system down. And, and we definitely don't want to do that. So so we, we try to do as much testing as possible. And we basically leverage automation to, to sort of help us in that um, endeavor. So, so for example, uh, in in the past, we we would have regression runs that run overnight, taking you know between six to eight hours to to run. But in, at the same time, uh, the, the code has been released, and now it's in the the release stream that's going to be picked up by various test organizations. So if we we introduce a bug, that bug is is taken along the way, and someone is going to discover it at some point, right? Uh, Today, that's the, the window for that happening is very small because now we actually do that testing in, in real time. Before the developer pushes the, the release button to go ahead and release that code, that, that code is now um, tested with the same um, rigor as we were doing with those six and uh, eight hour runs. And now it's been done within five minutes or less. 
So, so how did you do that? How did you go from six to eight hours to five minutes? Do you have a time machine too? Uh, no. <laughs> Sometimes I wish. <laughs> and, and a clone machine so I can get two of myself to help do this work, right? Oh, no, well. it's, it's, it, it's well, actually... Two, two Brendan's? That can't be good. Yeah, right? That That's something that's wrong right there. <laughs> it's more like Brenton Belmore. <laughs> Man. <laughs> okay. I want to ignore you guys. <laughs> so, so you know, in, in, in looking back, it, it was simple. You know, hindsight 2020, right? Yeah. Uh, but it, what it really came down to is how do you run uh, about 50,000 test cases? And, and, and typically, the way we did it in the past is one at a time. And, and what we basically did was said, okay, well, why don't we do like several hundred at a time, right? So we, we basically introduced parallel processing uh, into the mix. And that, in, in a nutshell, with some you know, tweaks here and there, basically allowed us to reduce that eight-hour overhead to you know, a couple of minutes, basically. So are all these test cases automated or...? So, so some of these test cases are uh, written um, by by the developers on the team. Others are sort of collected from from other teams that have uh, test uh, test gen code. So basically, when we verify the, the the processor hardware, there's a team whose responsibility it is to generate random instruction streams and and test the the hardware. And Millicode is part of that that mix of tests. And, and then we would then look at those test cases and see, does it help us? Does it extend our coverage? And if it does, we, we keep that test case and use it in our regression buckets. That's always the, the first thing that people do or, or people should do when they're doing DevOps, right? Is to say, automate the test cases and make that work. Right, right. And now uh, when a developer makes a change and it does a, a, a Garrett push or a pull request, all 50,000 test cases is thrown at that change, right? And, and then the results are then communicated to the developer via Slack indicating whether one or more test cases are failing. And then we'll prevent, you know, the release of that code if, if test cases are failing. So we, we, before this, this DevOps um, uh, mechanism that we have in place today, the developer wouldn't know until the next day that that one line of code that, he or she change is now breaking, you know, 50%, 25,000 test cases. And, and by the way, that, that, that has happened. And, and, and when you, when you confront the developers, Hey, you know, that change you made is breaking half of a regression. How is that possible? I only changed one line of code. (laughs) So I have to imagine this is more than just dumping everything in the world into one file that gets kicked off. What kind of orchestration or, um, you know, infrastructure goes into place to make this happen? Because I, I can't imagine it's simple. Well, it, it's not as complicated as you think. It, it's actually just, oh, I said just, but it's <laughs> GitGaret that basically controls our, our repository, which when it re- re- receives a, a, a push, it triggers a Jenkins event. That Jenkins event then go ahead and follow this or pipeline, which basically first see, okay, let's see if the code actually assembles because it's assembler. And then we assemble it, you know, 50 different ways because we have different consumers of, of our releases. So they're built slightly different. 
And if all those various um, combinations are passing, then we take it to the next step, which is, okay, let's see if any test cases are, are you know, failing as a result of this change. And, that's, and that under the covers, the, the, the mechanism that handles the, the, the tests, uh, the, the key component there is our emulator. We have a Millicode emulator that emulates the Z architecture instructions, as well as the microarchitecture, which is the processor. So, so we get to uh, basically do a, a, a sniff test of the code to make sure it's, it's okay. Right, and we have test cases that basically do that, whether it's it's written by individuals or by a, a machine. And once once they, the the tests are uh, created, we then basically parallelize the function using using Python multiprocessing. So it's not true multiprocessing, but because it, it's implemented in Python, we have a uh, an easy way to to create and deploy these uh, mechanisms using that scripting language. So you're using pretty much the same tools that everybody else uses to do DevOps. You've just uh, made them work for for Millicode systems. Exactly, exactly. We we use Jenkins, and on under under the covers, we 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 require the emulator and some other uh, things like the assembler, and and we just basically have a series of uh, either Bash scripts or shell scripts or or. Or Python scripts, they're mostly in Python now, um, connected to Slack to, to give us feedback in, in terms of, well, is the pipeline broken because something the developer did? Or is, a, is there some infrastructure issue that's causing the, 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 the job to fail? And, and the, this message is then communicated either to the DevOps team or to the developer, depending on, on who, who's responsible for fixing the problem. So can you briefly describe what it was like before and then take us through, uh, it, it, this is Frank, and he's written some code. And as we all know, Frank's code sucks, so there's going to be a problem. Um, so so in the old scenario, I'd write yeah. something uh, that was bad, yes. and then, then what would happen? Yeah, it, it, it was bad. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> Where do I mean? <laughs> You, you make a change and, and you literally throw it over the fence, right? And it stays over the fence for like two weeks until our librarian would collect all the pieces, put it together, and try to build a, a package to release. Maybe 50-50 whether that package is going to compile or not because it, every so often someone would release a change that uh, would cause the, comp- uh, the assembler to fail with some syntax errors, right? And, and now that's not a thing, right? We, we would block the release of of that code if it doesn't assemble, right? And it will block the mm-hmm. release of that code if, it, if it's failing too many test cases. So, so it, it used to be a nightmare trying to, to decipher, okay, who, who made the change that's causing the build system to fail? And, and that wasn't always trivial because sometimes there are hundreds of changes that's on the bone pile that we have to sort out uh, on, on this two-week cadence. But today, every change... Once it's 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 you know compiles and it assembles and it doesn't fail any any regression test cases, that change in itself gets released as part of our continuous integration. So I went from two weeks or or so yeah. before I found out that I screwed up badly to you know a couple of minutes, right? Yes, and, exactly. And and Slack would tell me this; it wouldn't be. Brenton coming to me saying, you're an idiot, Frank, it would be Slack 
Yeah, correct. It used to be me, yeah, or someone else on the team just, you know, come to you with a, a little sticky note and said, hey, this change you made uh, a week and a half ago, it's now breaking. And, and usually there's a discussion about, no, it's not me. Yes, it's you, you know, that sort of stuff. Because it's been so long, you forget that you even made that change, right? But now because it's happening in real time, the developer is in full control of, of the button to, to do the release and the button only becomes available if everything is, is clean. I, I imagine this also lends itself to, and a bunch of managers' ears are going to go up right now, reports as well. <laughs> yeah, but the, the reports are, are sort of kept just to the team. We don't sort of uh, use it to, to, to beat anyone over the heads in terms of uh, too many fails, et cetera. It's, oh, wow. How'd you manage that? Yeah, yeah no, it, it's... <laughs> <laughs> because it's a different culture, right? We 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 don't want to punish people who you know make innocent mistakes. Fair enough. So so you you mentioned culture. Let's take a few minutes to talk about that, right? Because you've talked about the technology and what you've done to make that work, uh, and it sounds like you've used a lot of basic stuff and and fixed it and, and played with it, adapted it for your environment. Yes. That's probably the easy part, right? How hard was it to get the entire team to change to do this? Because uh, I, I got to figure that before the people who would come and say, you screwed up, um, that was part of the power that they had in <laughs> in the org. And now, and now you've taken away their power, right? <laughs> Yeah, but it, it's still uncomfortable when I when I slack someone or I walk into their office. You know, it's like, what did I do? Did I break something? You know, I still can't <laughs> shake that that uh, <laughs> feeling of uh, no, you didn't do anything. It's it's okay. I just want to talk to you about something totally different. Yeah, the, the culture the culture shift was 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 difficult uh, because there's there's two uh, stakeholders here. There's the the developers who create the Miller code and the consumers of it, right? The, the test teams, basically, in this case. And and one, I remember vividly many years ago when when we first introduced automated builds, the the one of the test organizations were extremely reluctant to pick up these builds or to use these builds. They always wait for the two weeks um, releases <laughs> from our our li- librarian. And 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 in between, you know, if there's an urgent problem, they would. I asked, well, can we have a bill to address this particular issue, which is outside of the two-week window or, or inside, so to speak? And, mm-hmm. and I'll say, well, just use the automated bill. And, and they would refuse because they didn't think it was as good as the one that was created by a human. Mm. And then I said, you know, there's no difference between the two. And in addition, I, I had to basically, in order to push them in that direction, I said, I tell you what, that bill comes with my guarantee. If there's a problem <laughs> with that bill, write the, the defect to me directly, right? So so here I am putting myself out there, taking a risk because, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure someone on the team is going to raise a, a problem that would, would inevitably come to me. So what I had to do then is take it to the next level of, all right, how do I make sure nothing breaking gets into the stream automatically, right? And that's where the challenge came into, how do we actually do that eight-hour test in <clears throat> real time, so to speak? And then is the developer side. So that was the consumer of the, the bills, the, the developer side. Uh, when you introduce new things, people are always skeptical of, of change, right? And, and as, as much as you can show the benefit of the change, there's still some reluctance to adopt for 
sometimes valid reasons, sometimes other reasons is just, you know, I, I don't want to change sort of, sort of thing. <laughs> but but I, I find what's most effective, and I know my team is listening, or will be listening to this, is peer pressure, right? The, when you get the new kids <laughs> on the block using the new tools and, and they, they can get to the, the same answers that the, the more seasoned developers can get to, but in less time, it's a powerful tool to make them realize, hey, you should be doing this too. So did you have to kind of support those people? Because I, I know you're the new guy and you come in and uh, all the people around you are going to give you pressure to do what we've been doing. Um, was, was Did you have to kind of be there to support them for that too? Or Yes, of course, right? And, and in fact... Any new new thing that you introduce, you have to uh, help it through its feeding process, right? You got to make sure that you know the early bugs are uh, are taken care of. You got to make sure that they understand how to use it, they understand how it works in in general, and 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 make sure that you spend the time to to so that they can not only understand and use it, but offer suggestions on how to make it better, right? The, the, the DevOps. Some people think DevOps is a destination. The way I look at it is the journey. Every every step in the way, you, you're learning what from the failures you've made in the past, or the mistakes you've made in the past, right? And 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 that sort of feeds into the next step of okay, how do I make it better? If if you're not making it better every every iteration, right? Then you're doing something wrong. Is this something that there was like a set cutover date and you set goals for where you wanted to be at certain points, or was it kind of a uh, a need based let's try this now let's try this kind of thing uh, typically with big changes we sort of do it on a on a machine development boundary uh-huh. so w- what that means is once we start working on the next generation that's usually a nice place to introduce major disruption in the process <laughs> because doing it in the middle of of something uh like like uh where we're doing our most intensive test period that's not a good idea Right, because you don't want you don't want to to be disrupting the, the the development process with some new methods or functions. So it's it's best if you do it on a, on a boundary where there's a little separation between old and new, and it gives you you the DevOps team at some time to uh, comprehend what you've learned from the the lessons from the, the past machine and introduce changes or fixes or improvements for the next generation. And, and so speaking- it's typically on a machine boundary. Sorry. And speaking of of boundaries, you're you're, you're talking about. I mean, we're talking about uh, Millicode here. You're tightly coupled with lots of other teams who are working in other types of styles. Were you able to integrate and cross boundaries in working with them, or how 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 did that transformation go in working with other teams? Yeah, because we are part of the, the firmware organization, we, we typically, typically follow the firmware development process, even though we are part of the, uh, or at least part of the team is part of the hardware team, like like CJ was discussing uh, in, on the last uh, podcast. Ah, that was a great episode. That was. Yeah. People yeah. loved that, didn't they? Great ratings, too. I, I wonder why. <laughs> So, so even though we we are uh, uh, you know one of the units on the hardware team, we also participate in the firmware development uh, processes, and and the way that that 
organization operates, they have um, various uh, release cycles or, or drivers that we participate in. And we sort of follow this using their same DevOps infrastructure. They basically uh, provide some basic functionality that runs across all the firmware sub- subsystems. And we basically leverage and then extend them specifically to, to uh, support our Millicode needs. So how long did it take you to go from, hey, we have to start using this, you know, kind of a DevOps way of doing things to the point where people said, hey, th- this is a good idea? Yeah, it it was pretty easy for us. And I want to say easy, it, it's, it was like, okay, we have this thing that's working right now. Let's drop it in Jenkins and it would be just the same as what we're doing before. So before it was a cron job running in the machine, right? Now it's it's been con- it's under control of, of the Jenkins uh, worker, right? So we had, uh, unlike uh, uh, some of the firmware teams, we had our own DevOps, um, although it's a homegrown um, um, mechanism, we used to call it auto builds. Uh, and that was that was done by a cron job that wakes up on a random machine and performs the, the series of tests every every so often, right? So so back in the days when we were using CVS for a repository and we do our releases, the, the cron job will wake up every fifteen minutes and check is there something new to build? It checks the repository to see if there's a change. If there's a change, then it proceeds with the various builds and and regression tests, and then the, finally the release. But now it's it's orchestrated by Jenkins, and now uh, it, it's basically the same building blocks that we use in the old way fit into the, the, the Jenkins infrastructure. How long did it take? Well, it probably, we, we, I think we switched over maybe uh, took us a couple months to get it going, um, all the pieces. But, but again, it, it was the bare minimum we can do, right? It has changed drastically since then. And, and, and again, as I said, you know, every generation, we look at how we can improve and make things better. And, and it has been three or four generations since we've been doing this. So, so how many years have you guys then been on this uh, DevOps modernization path? Five years, I would say. At least five years. Time go by so quick. <laughs> and, and, you're, and you're spreading out, right? It's not... Now your your DevOps message is is going throughout uh, the different uh, firmware teams, right? Teams. It's not just Correct. yeah, yes. It's it, it's it's not just. Uh, I, I guess some of the other firmware groups have noticed that oh, what is he doing over there? What maybe he can help us do some stuff, right? And that's basically how I I started offering some advice on how they can do similar things with what the the resources that they have. And and the last time uh, you were on the podcast, uh, you were you were an STSM, but but now uh, because of your uh, your your uh, obvious insight and and ability to drive, you're an important uh, distinguished engineer, right? Is that the reason why? <laughs> <laughs> A big part of 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 where you're driving. You know, the, the company even realized, hey, we need uh, 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 this person to be, you know, driving throughout the organization this this new thing, right? This new way of running, and and that's been a big part of 
of of pushing you in that direction, right? Yes, absolutely. And 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 I and I think what what probably resonates is if if you can do this really cool stuff with the lowest level of firmware, then there's no excuse why you can't leverage higher uh, higher level languages where you have more tools available to do these sort of things, right? So so things that we do in like like static analysis of of, of assembler code, all that stuff is being done in our, our Jenkins pipeline in in real time before we do a release, right? Again, those are the sort of things that other um, languages have more tools available to to do that sort of analysis to find bugs and or, or, or other issues, and and now you know basically pulling all these things together, whether it's, whether it's homegrown or or something that we can use off the shelf like like Assembler, we integrate it as much as possible to test and and make sure we detect the bugs before it it gets out into the part into the release stream. And, and you and your team have developed some pretty neat tools. Uh, for for dealing with assembler, even right as a as a growing DevOps community, right? Yes, exactly. So so I mentioned a couple of them. Uh, the most important one, in my opinion, of course, others would have different opinions, is is the um, interactive Millicode debugger that we we created, and and that's essentially, if you think of of um, Jupyter Notebook, that's basically what it's it's it was modeled off of. And Jupyter Notebook allow you to to write uh, Python code, as an example, Python code within within the context of a browser and test that few lines of code within that session, right? And then you can easily see if you have errors or how to fix it and test it pretty quickly, turnaround time in, in, in real time, right? Well, can you imagine doing that with Assembler? It's a little more tricky than, than just putting <laughs> some code in there, right? Right, and, and then we and then we take it to the next step. Well, okay, now that we have the code in here, now that we can you know click a button and and do a build, and 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 look at the results. Uh, essentially, what we did is is took all the pieces of of uh, functions that we had laying around that we use in other places and just connect them together. And and then on top of that, we we said, well, now we have the instruction stream. Let's uh, give the user the ability to to look up. The instructions with the click of the mouse, right? So you see all these assembly mnemonics on the screen. Well, what does this new instruction do? do? You, you double click and you, the pops shows up, explaining precisely what what it does. You know, in, in the past you'll have to flip to that page and find the instruction, or search your PDF to find that instruction. Now it takes one click. And so this this is to be kind of really important because it's not just uh, that these tools have made experienced people's job easier, it actually helps uh, new people get up to speed faster, right? Uh, absolutely. And and again, the objective, at least from, from my viewpoint, is to lower the bar, uh, the, the, the bar as in how do you learn and become productive in, in Millicode as quickly as possible. And, and in my time when I didn't have any of these cool things, uh, it took a while, you know, two to three years to become knowledgeable where no one has to be constantly looking over your shoulder to to see if you're doing the right thing. Now you can actually write code and test it uh, penalty-free in this context of a browser, right? In, in the past, it would, it would let, let's, here's a typical scenario. We, we test in um, the system in, in our test environment, uh, the, the system fails for some reason, the developer is supporting the, that 
test group sees the problem, understands how to fix the problem, but is not familiar with the entire context of the code that's been executed, that was executed when it, when it failed. Well, you, you don't have to know the entire context to fix the problem. You, just, you can see easily, okay, some register mismanagement is what led to the problem. Well, he can fix that code. Now he can actually make the change, he or she can make the change and test it before delivering that private fix to be verified. Right. Sometimes it will take several iterations to uh, in in the past to get this going. Like you 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 create a fix, you think you have a solution. Keep in mind the developer or the owner of that function is probably asleep. Right. This is the third shift, <laughs> and you have this 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 poor guy. It used to be me. This poor guy is trying to support. <laughs> Someone is yelling at you. Why does the machine keep failing? Well, okay. Let me try this, and it will work. Maybe. Oh man, I missed something. Let's try again and again. Oh, okay, great, it's working. Now that exercise can the turnaround time is seconds if you can now do that test within the context of browser with, before providing the the fix to the the, the the test organization. So, in your experience, more easy can coexist in a world with more capable. Sure, absolutely. A lot of times. Uh, some of the new advancements, uh, it seems like it's one or the other, but you're saying in this case, it, it really is both. Yeah. And, and, and again, that, that's the, the beauty, right? We, we're not pressuring anyone on the team to use these tools. They're, they're there for who wants to, to utilize them. And, I, and I'm telling you, it, especially I, I don't typically write code anymore, but every so often I'll ask to yeah. review some code. <laughs> what, what was that, Jeff? No, nothing. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> Every so often, I would ask to to review some code. I'll just copy and paste that code in, in into the, the debugger, and you know, within seconds, I can confidently say it works as you designed it or, or as intended. Or, or I would have to go through my head executing all those instructions. That's a little tedious sometimes. <laughs> and, and, and then, of course, you look at the, the big picture, right? In some ways, it's like saying, hey, hey, new kids on the block, here's a calculator, use it on your math exam, right? So you know some people are going to object to that because, yeah, you shouldn't need a calculator, but hey, why not? And most of the people that come to you today, like you get a new hire, they don't have an assembler background, right? You've got to kind of use these tools to help train them. Yes, yes. And, and in the past, my training was, hey, go read the pops. So that big <laughs> manual that's uh, put you to sleep just getting past the first page. Um, but uh, now you can actually uh, experiment uh, with the instructions. Like, like for example, there's a new instruction. Uh, it's, it's described in the, in the principles of operations, which we call the pops. Uh, you read it a few times like, uh, I didn't quite understand. What is it? You read it again? Nah, I'm not sure how this works. Well, now you can just you know put it in the the, the in IMD and click a couple of buttons and you see the result, right? And again, what makes this, this possible is our Millicode emulator. That that thing is that's the firewall between all, us developers and chaos in our test environment, right? <laughs> because because it, without that, you know there'll be too many bugs to to deal with. So uh, maybe not me, uh, maybe someone sophisticated. Uh, 
if they come to you as a new hire, how long before you're confident that they're going to be able to write code that that, that we're able to use in, in our systems? So it, it depends. It, it depends on, on the background of the, the new hire. If, if there's a strong background in, in computer architecture, because you need to understand uh, quite a bit of um, computer architecture to understand how to control various aspects of, of the processor. Uh, you know, we have these instructions that, that you know, inserts gaps in the pipeline, stalls in the pipeline, you ought to understand what a pipeline is, right? And if mm-hmm. if if you come in with just a, a, a computer science, you may or may not have a, a an understanding of what that sort of stuff with is, right? And you have to, to understand how the cache hierarchy works. All these things you you may or may not have experience in college. And if if they do, then you know maybe within a year or so you can start writing code that becomes uh, uh, something that we we release in, to clients. Um, prior to that. Uh, it would take longer if we didn't have all these these processes in place, because it, it takes that much time to not only understand the fourteen hundred or so instructions in the pops, but there's another hundred or, or more in the microarchitecture that you have to understand before you can actually start using them effectively and without errors. Cool. Sounds like you're a busy man. What's what are your next steps? Yeah, you're going to take over the world with DevOps. You did the podcast, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the next steps, honestly, there's, there's a, there's a Trello board that me and my team have, uh, with, with impossible dreams that, that, that we, we are sort of, uh, doodling with, uh, and, and the, these things may not have a city light of there, uh, but, but, but what's important, just like the things that you see that we're using today, they all started in some incubator that we were doodling on, right? And, and I guarantee, even if some of these things are object failures, we're going to learn something along the way that's going to help us in another uh, endeavor that's going to make a significant impact in the development of, of Millicode on, on this process. One of our, one of our low-hanging fruit, so to speak, is AI. How do we use AI to basically help us in the development process? That is something that we are very interested in and looking into very closely. So uh, we're we're actually a little bit past the bottom of the hour here. I, I wonder if if you could tell somebody who's saying we really should start doing this DevOps agile kind of development thing. What would be your advice to somebody who's trying to get started? My advice would be try and map out what you're trying to achieve. Like, how would you define the 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 work that you want a machine to do on your behalf. Once you have a sketch of, okay, I wanted to do this, this, and this, then that's basically your, your pipeline. And then my advice is install it on your local machine in a container, Jenkins, right? And, and play with that pipeline. Understand how it works and how you can use it. That's basically what I did in terms of uh, creating our, 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 our Jenkins pipeline. And, and, and it's penalty-free, right? You're not going to break anything in production. It's just something that you can do locally within a container. If it fails, you just delete it and move on, right? Just, just start, you know, create your first hello world within, within Jenkins. And once you, once you do that, then the sky is open to do whatever you can given the resources that are available to you. Awesome. Well, th- thank you. 
Britton, for coming and talking to us about this. Yep. We are. My pleasure. And I hope I didn't uh, offend too many people this time around. Last time I did. <laughs> I think. I hey, think we're, we're just. Yeah, we're just happy you're not you know, using that axe. So, uh, <laughs> with, with that, uh, uh, I think it's an important time to say, you know, old man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.